2 Corinthians 3.3, Paul is writing. He writes this. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of the human hearts. Lord, we need you to not leave now because you've certainly been here, but come closer and work in this teaching moment in our hearts and in our minds. We'll get it, what you're trying to say to us. We might leave a little different than we arrived. In Jesus' name, I pray. Shout amen. 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 Please be seated. Let me give you the context for uh, this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, those of you who know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know that he is responsible for writing the majority of the books of the New Testament. And the majority of those books were once letters that he wrote back to uh, Jesus' following communities that he established all over Asia Minor. One of those communities uh, was in a city called Corinth. And after leaving that church community that he had established and built up, uh, some people came into that community and started questioning what he had taught in the community. And not only did they question, they essentially raised questions about his qualifications. And essentially they said, uh, did Paul present to you any letters uh, demonstrating who qualified him to teach you what he taught you? Did he show you credentials? Everybody shout credentials. And so Paul is responding to this and he says two pretty in, in, in interesting things in verse 2 of uh, chapter 3. Uh, of, of chapter He says this. Uh, you yourselves are our letter. He said, we labored and established this Christian community. And based on how you live, you are the credentials of our work and our ministry. All right? That's what he said. But then he says this thing here that's, that I really want to drill in on. He says, uh, they moved too quick. But go back. Thank you. <laughs> you yourselves are our letters written uh, on our hearts, known and read by everyone. And then verse 3, you show that you are a letter from who? From Christ. Right there. Okay, let me ask you a couple questions. If your life is a letter from Jesus to the world around you, what does that letter say to others about Jesus? And uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 17, it says, essentially says this, uh, uh, Paul talks about the power of the gospel, and then he says at the end of the day that they who are righteous, they who are believers, ultimately is what he means by that, will live lives of faith from the least, from the last to the beginning, from the first to the last, we'll live lives of faith. The just shall live by faith, the King James Version puts it. Where do we live our Lives by faith at. Well, we live our lives by faith in our condos and apartments and houses among the challenges that happen inside of that. We live our lives by faith inside of our relationships with our kids and our spouses and our colleagues and our friends when there's disagreement and when there's agreement, when there's ups and downs. We live our lives by faith on our jobs 
as we plan what comes next inside of our particular careers. We live our lives by faith when we're sick and struggling with disease. We live our lives by faith in the context of success. So if I had to ask the people who are living life with you, that if they looked at how you live and what you said and the experience of your life, and if they could reduce that to one sentence about God, what would that one sentence coming from your life say about God? Tell the person next to you, that's worth writing down. Write that down. What does your life say about Jesus to the rest of the world? That's the question I want you to go home and think about. Now, there was an event that happened to me earlier this week that kind of drove me into this place of reflecting on this question, not just for you, but for me. What does my life say to others about God and about Jesus? Uh, Last Wednesday, I was invited to speak at the Garfield Community School to more than somewhere around 258 students between from fifth grade to eighth grade. And they reached out to me and said, would you come and speak about how you develop your voice for social justice inside of their thematic work in the class? Now, I was excited to get this invitation. Let me tell you why. Those of you who've been with us for a while know that two years ago, when we launched our Be Rich uh, holiday outreach effort, I told you that we were going to partner with the Garfield School. And I pulled in a sermon, John 3.16, and I read John 3.16 to you, and I said that John 3.16 teaches us that the love of God is extravagant. Everybody shout extravagant. It's extravagant. It's extravagant. He says, for he gave his only begotten, his only son. That's extravagant. I said, the love of God is unconditional. Shout unconditional. Uh, Meaning God doesn't say, I love you if. God just says, I love you. I love you. And I I said, the love of God is sacrificial in the experience. For, For God gave his son. That's a great sacrifice. And later his son will give his Life, And then I said to you, so we're going to go to the Garfield School and we're going to attempt to demonstrate to them an extravagant, unconditional, sacrificial love. So you followed our lead and we, we, we did more than a thousand hours of volunteer service at that school. You followed our lead and we spent thousands of dollars to purchase the materials because we cleaned and we, we built uh, and we painted and we were transformational in ways that even the district were not doing for the school. And then when we finished, we left a check behind with no strings attached for $10,000. They could do whatever it is, whatever they wanted to do with it. Then we came back last year. We did exactly the same thing. And when we finished, we left a check behind for $15,000 so you can do whatever you want to do with it. And then we said to the principal, look. We, we want to challenge you to dream. Take the limits off your dream. Figure out what the next stage is uh, uh, for the school. And when you, make, when you get that clear, let us know. And we're going to bring the internal resources of our church right alongside. And, and, and we're going to help you achieve this vision because they're serving a student body that comes out of an, a, an under-resourced 
community, and they're doing great jobs with limited resources. So you must imagine that when I got the invitation to come speak, and I heard that the person who advocated for me coming to speak was the vice principal who is a practicing Muslim. You can imagine how excited I must have been. I concluded they got the letter, they got the letter. They got the letter. They got the letter. That here is a church that's following a God who loves extravagantly and sacrificially and unconditionally. And so for them to take a step, I'm talking about a public school in Silicon Valley. Y'all just, y'all, y'all too quiet. All of you, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. A public school in Silicon Valley inviting, come on now, a pastor that's associated with a church that's associated with the evangelical community, inviting, trusting enough to invite this pastor. Tell somebody, they got the letter, they got the letter. So when I was preparing, I was like, I told my staff and wife, and I want to be careful here. Because here's the first thing that I want to suggest when I think about what people, I want them to get from my life. They had to formalize one sentence, what I pray that they get from my life, what I pray that the students got from my life, is this first, this, this, this first insight. God is faithful. Say it with me. God is faithful. And when we say God is faithful, what we mean is God can be trusted. And one of the ways that people who don't know God makes judgment about whether or not God can be trusted is based on whether or not God's people can be trusted. So here they were inviting me to come into the school, and I wanted to make sure that I was authentic to who I am and an authentic representative of Jesus because that's who I'm called to serve, an authentic representative of the love of God while not proselytizing their kids or their teachers. In other words, I wanted to represent the love of God without trying to be God. You catch it? You catch it? You catch it? It's up to God to do what he does when I leave. Come on now. It's just up to me to live the life that he's called me. So I went into the school. Guess what I talked about? I, I told them my story. So that's how you share with people your story. And guess what's, guess what's, guess what's uh, tracked through the, through the pages of my story? God is faithful. Faithful. Let me share with you a passage, and I'm going to come back to it. Jeremiah 1. It's one of my favorite passages. Verse 4 through 5. I love this passage. Uh, they've got it? They don't have it yet. But essentially, Jeremiah, the writer, says, there it is. It says, the Lord gave me this message to tell y'all. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Everybody shout, before. Before you were born, I set you apart. Everybody shout, before. And appointed you as my prophet 
to the nations. When I shared my story with these kids, I talked to them about my pain as a kid. I told them about how I got scarred. I told them about my father rejected me. I told them about how my grand uncle and aunt in Cushette, Louisiana decided to adopt and raise me. I told them about how I was teased and bullied and picked on and, and the last uh, to be picked to play any particular game, you know, pain. I, I told them about my confusion. Everybody shout confusion. Confused. I told them about how at one point as a young, uh, young person growing up, I thought I was ugly, so I acted ugly. I, I, I thought I wasn't smart, so I didn't act. I acted like I weren't smart. I was all getting in all kinds of trouble. And then, and then I told them about this miracle of transformation that God did for me in a boy's bathroom. I told them how I, uh, I lost a fight over a little girl that wasn't even interested in me. Might I say that if you're going to fight over uh, some girl or some guy, at least make sure they're interested in you. <laughs> and I told him about how I went into the boys' bathroom, and I said, and I realized for the first time I was flunking out of school, didn't bother me a lot, but I also realized that if I did uh, fail, that my grand-aunt and uncle who were in their 60s and 70s would have felt like they wasted the best years of the last second half of their lives. And it was this realization that drove me to go to the God that spoke to Jeremiah. And I went to God and I said, essentially, God, uh, 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 and I told the kids this, that the that, that, uh, scripture says, if you have faith, size, must see, you can move mountains. I don't need you to move any mountains. I need you to open some doors. Shout opportunity. And I said, I have three things. I want to be on the stage with honor students when I graduate. I want to go to college. And I want my grand aunt and uncle uh, at the end of the day to know they haven't wasted their life. And then I shared how those prayers was answered in the next three years. And I said to the kids that it was in that boy's bathroom that I began to discover my sense of somebodyness. Shout somebodyness. Now, back to this text. Notice what the text says. Notice what Jeremiah says. He says that before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Says that before you were born, I appointed you. And I believe I set you aside. I believe this is a message that God says to all of us. He says, He says, He says, before you were born, I appointed you. Now, Jeremiah, he appointed to be a prophet. He didn't appoint all of us to be a prophet, but he appoints us all to a particular purpose. Now, look at this good news. Listen to this good news. If God knew you before you were formed in your mother's room, before you were born, he set you aside. Uh, 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 if God appointed you to a purpose before you showed up, knew anything about religion or faith or college or any of that kind of stuff, if God knew you, the God of the universe knew you, that means you are somebody. Well, obviously you didn't get that because you'd be really excited about that. Let, let me see, can I bring it home? If the president knew you well enough to call you on your personal cell phone, you'd think you're somebody, right? We'd say, wow, I'm somebody. If the wealthiest man 
on the planet, whatever his name is, he's in a little trouble right now, but whatever his name is, <laughs> would call you up regularly on your phone. You would think that you were somebody, right? Your friends would say, man, you somebody. Well, I'm trying to get you to see if the God of the universe, come on now, knew you before you were born, set you aside, ordained you for a purpose, shout, I'm somebody. Now watch this insight. Your somebodyness has nothing to do with how many, how much money you have in the bank. Whether you're a millionaire or living on the street, you somebody. Has nothing to do with how many degrees you've got hanging up on your wall. Whether you are a PhD or a high school dropout, you're still somebody. Why? Because your somebodyness is not based on your looks your possessions of what other folks say you are is solely based on the fact that God says, I know you. Come on now. I've got a purpose for you. That makes you. So you can't lose it. Can't nobody take it from you. You're somebody in this. But you can give it away. Then I told them that, you know, my somebody in this first began to develop a voice of social justice was when I realized, when I started caring about somebody other than myself. Notice what the passage says about Jeremiah. It says, I've appointed you to be a prophet, and I told you, he hasn't appointed all of us to be a prophet. He says, watch this, a prophet to the nations, shout nations. Nations, the word means, can be translated families or communities or people groups. Watch this. While God has not called us all to be prophets, whatever purpose God has called us to, our purposes over the course of our lives, it will always involve us caring for somebody other than ourselves. You're pursuing a dream and it's all about you. You've missed it. And so I had the kids to say this after me. As a matter of fact, I want y'all to just repeat this. This is what they did. They did it with gusto. So just say it with gusto. Say, I was born somebody. I am somebody. And I will be somebody who will make a difference in the world. Come on, give God a hand praise because he said that. That's, your, that's what he's saying to you. You're called to be somebody who will make a difference in the world. And so I hope that when those young people think about what I said to them, that one thing they walk away from that experience. And I hope that over the course of my life, when people think about what do I say, what does my life say about God, that it's very clear, God is faithful. Second insight is reflecting on, and I hope they got from what I shared as I shared my story is that God loves. Everybody shout, God loves. loves. Now we romanticize this often and we dress it up, make it feel easy in the church. I want to talk about this. I want to say something here. There are two types of people that I believe God allows to come into our lives as he loves us. One type are the people who love us through toughness. Everybody say toughness. I told the kids about 
the tough teachers in my life. I told them about one, Miss Gafford, who caught me up in my shirt when I came to her room after that prayer, pushed me up against the locker, put her finger in my face and said, boy, if you come in this class acting a fool like you do the rest, I will kill you. Do you understand? <laughs> and then I had some fun with the kids. I said, I said, do any of you know any tough teachers here? And they all started raising their hands and naming them, and the teacher was standing around. The <laughs> <laughs> so I had to hasten to say, and I actually had them repeat this. I said, I said, everybody say, thank God for tough teachers. And they said, thank God for tough teachers. You know why? Because I told them, my tough teacher was loving me. She was demanding. She was saying, I demand more of you than what you've been demanding of yourself. That I will not accept anything less than the highest standard for your life. And it was in that classroom that God began to turn me around. You know, we need tough people who love us through toughness in our lives. We don't like it. But we all need somebody in our life, a spouse or a sibling or a child or a colleague who will tell us not what we want to hear all the time, but what we need to hear. It's our toughness. We all need people in our lives who will see us going the wrong way and they, don't, they won't just sit back and let us go off the cliff, but they will demonstrate some toughness and declare that what you're doing is insane. We all need some toughness in our lives. You don't have to be mean to be tough. We all need toughness at growing up somebody to tell us no as an act of love. Toughness. You should pray. God, send some people into my life who loves me through toughness. And then there's the other group of people uh, that exist. And these are the people who are tough to love. Ask the person next to you, do you think I'm one of those people? Come on, just ask them. Here's an insight I want to share. Love is difficult. Infatuation is easy. Puppy love is easy. Lust is easy. Swipe right or swipe left. Is <laughs> easy. But love is difficult. Let me prove it. Romans 5, verse 6 through 8. Text talks about how God loves us. Listen, listen to what it says. It says, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I love y'all who are running this machine back here. It's tough, but I love you. I love you. <laughs> When we utterly helpless, 
Christ came at, at just the right time and died. Do you hear the pain in that? For our sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, but listen, the guy says, Paul says, someone might perhaps consider dying for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love, his extravagant love for us by sending Christ to die, to die. That's the act of love. It's tough, y'all, to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Loving sinners is tough. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see, that extravagant, unconditional, sacrificial loving is tough. It's tough. These parents who, who just dedicated those beautiful, sweet babies, this isn't the time for them to rejoice. Loving these babies, easy. <laughs> Change their diaper, give them some feed, give them a little rattle, that's great. Wait till those babies become teenagers. Come on now. Wait till the teenagers become young adults. And I'll tell you, you'll discover that loving sinners is difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult. This is what I say to married couples. They get married, think six months, a year, year and a half, think it's all supposed to be. Suddenly things get rough. They've figured out that the person they married is not perfect. Wow. <laughs> Like they want to exit. I want to give everybody a news flash. Whether it's your spouse or your sister or your significant, whatever you call them. Come on now. Loving is difficult. And so often we become so focused on how difficult it is to love the other, we forget how difficult it is for, to love, for us, for others to love us. So last week, I went through this list of people. You remember, talked about toxic people, everybody saw toxic people. I went through this long list. I've got to put it back up there. Just put the whole list up there. Good. I, I, I put, it, put them back up there for you to see. And I was going through, I was talking about people who control, people who emotionally drain you. I talked about uh, those who are drama magnets. And I talked about those who are jealous and judgmental and liars and, and, uh, and the big tanks who are insensitive, all that kind of stuff. And I know as I was talking about it, working it through, you guys were really, you, you had people come in your mind like a Rolodex, you know. Some of you could have just started writing on the back of your bullet and you were thinking, my God, I really wish she or he had been here. <laughs> For some of you, the very first time you ever thought about going to our website and sending the message was last weekend. You said, I'm going to send them the message. And yet part of the point that I made last week was, watch this, part of the point I made last week was that if you're a Jesus follower, you don't get to cut people loose because they're hard to love. And I gave you scripture about how Jesus calls us to love those who are difficult to love. Here's what I might have not said. I want to call it out today. If you were going through that list thinking about others, you're on that list. Right? Maybe I didn't call it out, but you're on that list. You're a sinner. You're on the list. And for some of you, as I was calling it out, you did recognize yourself. You did kind of get quiet. And I just thought I'd offer you some really good news. God loves you. 
He loves you. He loves you in your brokenness. He loves you. And if you'll work with him, good God Almighty, he'll transform you. He'll make some things happen. Well, let me see what I, I told them. Uh, uh, you know, it was difficult loving me. I told the kids about this. And I was hoping they get the sense that God loves you. I told them, you know, how difficult it was, how many mistakes I made. God knows, I know my grand-aunt, she shed many tears trying to love me. I know that my grand-uncle and aunt who adopted me thought of many times, did we make the right decision? What were we thinking? I mean, for years, for years, it looked like I was just going off the cliff. I was difficult to love. But I want to say to you that while real love is difficult, it's worth it. It's worth it. There's nothing like it. There's no greater power on earth than real love to transform people's lives and to be a part of that transformation. And so I wrote, to the, one of the counselors wrote me a nice letter about the, the blessing of what I said, and I wrote her back. I said, listen, there will come a day when you wake up and find yourself feeling like you're treading water and you're dealing with that kid that seems like he or she is hearing nothing that you said and that they're completely going off the cliff. That's when I want you to remember me because I was that kid. So I want you, to, anybody know anything about my life? I want, you, I want the, the, the word that comes from my life about God is that God loves anybody and everybody. I'm going to come back to this point in a minute. The last thing that I want to come out of, my, out of my life, and I hope that they get this, is that God redeems. Everybody shout, God redeems. God redeems. God redeems. That really means that God makes new. You know, as I think about it, Romans uh, 8.28 is uh, one of my favorite uh, passages here. It's redeemed. He, he, he joins us in our mess. He joins us in the tragedies that happen to us. And, and he joins us in our pain and our confusion. And then the text tells us this. And we know that God causes everything. Shout everything. Be careful where you put the period in this sentence. Because if you put the period here, for we know that God causes everything, you've just messed up your theology. Because I don't believe God causes everything. Sin causes some stuff. Evil causes some stuff. The brokenness of life causes some stuff. I don't think that God, I don't think that God wanted all that bad stuff to happen to me that happened to me when I was a kid. No, no, he would have preferred something different. But, 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 I, but so just take that period out of there, but keep reading. God causes, shout everything, to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Underline who loves God. Why is that important? What it means is that if I surrender my life, come on now, to a God through the fact that I love the one who loves me, watch it. If I give him charge, he's able to show up in my mess, show up in my misery, and over time make all that bad stuff work for my good. That's what it means. I told, I told him this morning that when I was in that boy's bathroom, and I went to God, and I, I finally, I turned and I said, I can't do this. I need help with the improbable. I need help with the impossible. I believe God got off his seat in heaven, and he started celebrating. He says, now I can, get, now I can take charge of your life. Now I can do what you thought never could be done. And I'm so happy you didn't wait, Herman, till you became 60, because I can use 15-year-olds. I can use 17-year-olds. I can use 10-year-olds. I just need people to give me their lives and let me have my way. 
Over time, not overnight. Over time. Shout over time. Over time. Over time takes an investment. One of the things secret about God is that they, we tend to overlook. It's this newness that God keeps working for. You know, it's in Isaiah 43. One of my favorite verses starts there. Forget all that, the old things. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Well, I'm about to do something. Everybody say new. New. Yes, yes, yes. There it is. Uh, and, then, and then he says, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'll make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers and dry wastelands. Everybody shout new. New. There's a New Testament text. I didn't put it up there. But, 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 but Paul quotes this. Anyone who's in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Old things have passed away and are passing. All things have become new and are becoming new. Everybody shout new. Y'all ain't listening to me. In Revelation chapter 21, I, I love this. Watch the emphasis on the word new. Then I saw a what? Heaven and a earth. For the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared and the sea is also gone. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, that's right. Come on now. Uh, coming down from God out of a heaven. See, God is always working for the new. Y'all ain't listening. Like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud short shout from the throne saying, look, God is declaring. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them. That's his ultimate desire. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. I love this. Uh, uh, he, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pains. All things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Behold, look, I'm making everything. What? New. Here's my, here's my application at that point, and I'm going to conclude here. You see, I was on that list. As a matter of fact, I'm still on the list. But as a teenager, I was really wounded. I was really toxic. But when I got in that boy's bathroom and turned my life over, I didn't realize it. But God said, thank you. You just gave me permission to make you new. And I'm not that same 14-year-old that I was back then. I, I'm not all that I can be, but God, I thank you I'm not what I used to be. I was on the road to become a statistic. But because God is a God that makes people new and circumstances new and situations new, I'm here preaching to you this morning. That's the God I offer to you through Jesus Christ. Everybody shout new. He can do a new thing in your marriage. He can do a new thing. He can do a new thing. That's why I want to close with Ephesians 4 and 30. You see, I love Paul talking about this God. And hear how he closes it up. Ephesians 4, 30. He says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. See, I've told you God loves you no matter what. But when you figure out how much he really loves you, it ought to affect how you live. Come on now. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So, watch this. Get rid of all business and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. You can just put everything else in that last phrase. All types. Say all types. 
of evil behavior. And even though he says get rid of it, he's not leaving you to your own power because we can't do it on our own. I could not have changed my life by myself. But if you would dare open up your heart, come on now. I read somewhere in James it says, be ye doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. If you dare open up your heart, come on now and stick with God and allow God to have his way with you, he will make you new. Everybody say hallelujah. Say amen. And amen. Give God a hand praise.